Hi, welcome to Choice Words. I'm your host, Gracie, published poet and local pigeon. And I'm Ray, blogger for bookinfested.com and local cryptid. And today we are doing a book review. The first on our podcast, first of many. Uh, One thing I will say before we even get started is this podcast is going to be pretty spoiler heavy. So um, as you can see from the title, we're going to be talking about Howl's Moving Castle by Diana Wynne-Jones. If you have not read the book, would highly recommend doing that before listening to this podcast if you don't want spoilers. Yeah, and um, just for kind of reference with the way things go, I primarily read uh, physical copies of books. Gracie primarily goes through audiobooks. Um, She also reads uh, physical copies of books. Yeah, I do a lot of back and forth. (laughs) Yeah, but she also does um, the audiobooks, and we just wanted to kind of put that out there um, just so you kind of know we're both coming from uh, different mediums of the same book. Mm-hmm. And both are really valid. Um, yeah, so one of the things I may talk about, I didn't really have any issues with this one, but occasionally there will be an audiobook where I go, loved the book, didn't like the way it was recorded, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So when those things come up, you know, just so you're aware ahead of time. Also, audiobooks and paper copies are both totally valid forms of absorbing content. So, yeah. And this might be why um, over the course of any kind of book reviews now or in the future, you might see me referencing exact page numbers and Gracie won't be. Right. Um, I'll be more in quotes. I could give timestamps if people really want them. Um, but until we kind of get feedback that that's what you're looking for, I probably won't. <laughs> there we go. Um, also, I kind of tend to fly by the seat of my pants when it comes to these sort of things. I just kind of go based on what I remember from the books. And I have some notes written down because I forget everything I've read the moment I stop reading it. Um, so yes, yeah, so we may bounce around a little bit here. <laughs> yeah, and so this is kind of a long intro for this sort of thing, but just to kind of give you a heads up of how these work for future references, this is our first book review on this podcast, so that's why we're taking a little more time to kind of explain what's going on absolutely, here. Absolutely, absolutely. So one of the things that I definitely want to talk about at this point is the way magic works in the world of Howl's Moving Castle. Um, For those of you who don't know, Howl's Moving Castle is a, technically it's a children's book, like a young reader book um, that covers the story of Sophie Hatter in this mystical world called Ingery, which is, it seems to be kind of a mix of like real world and fantasy world. Um, It quite literally opens um with the statement in the land of angry where such things as seven league boots and seven league boots and cloaks of invisibility really exist it is quite a misfortune to be born the eldest of three so it sets the ground already for this being hey we're going to introduce you to this world where these things really exist but there's also still that sense of it's set in the quote-unquote real world right um, right, kind of like I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily call it like fantasy, but possibly like magical realism almost. Yeah. Although it does take place in a like fictional setting that is not Earth, quote unquote. Yeah, so it follows Sophie Hatter as she ends up getting into a tiff with the Witch of the Waste, who then curses her to be uh, an old woman, adding about 60 years to her life, or I guess subtracting 60 years from her life, but adding 60 years to her age. Right. Um, And because of this, Sophie kind of goes on an adventure of her own, ends up meeting the wizard Howl, um, his fire demon Calcifer, and Howl's apprentice Michael. And they kind of unravel this fantastical story as they kind of go along here. Absolutely. I agree. I think one of the most interesting things about that is, is the way they approach magic, not only in the way that they talk about it being just 
a completely normal thing in the world. But also I think with Sophie specifically, so one of the things we learn is that Sophie does also have magical powers Mm -hmm. and doesn't realize it this whole time. She thinks she's destined to be, she's, you know, as you said, the eldest of three. So she's this oldest daughter who's not meant for greatness and her sisters will go off and have grand adventures and she's just kind of destined to be Sophie. Um, But what we learn through the course of the book is that Sophie is a, is a magical, like she can do magic um, unintentionally. Yeah. She like, um, there's this really funny scene later in the story that I think is one of my favorite scenes where she gets really ticked off. And the way that Sophie works her magic unintentionally is that she'll talk to things mm-hmm. and by her just like talking to them, um, not just like, oh, this hat's really nice or whatever, but she'd be like, oh, you're going to be, you know, the hat for this and blah, blah, blah. And there's a scene later in the book where she gets really ticked off and starts yelling at some flowers and it turns into weed killer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's just like this weird way that she unintentionally works magic. Yes. Um, and it, it plays to that old fantasy feeling for me of like the old Brothers Grimm's fairy tales and all that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff um like old folk tales where it's like there are rules to how you have to interact with the magical world but also some of those rules aren't totally set in stone so you're just like how does this work I don't know do the people using it even work Eh, could be anyone's guess right and I think it's really interesting to contrast that too with Howell and Michael Mm -hmm. um, because Michael is Howell's apprentice he is learning how to do magic and Howell is a wizard. He is a wizard, and he one of the things that happens is that the king tries to hire him on as like the kingdom's wizard. And it's interesting to see this contrast between like this career path of magic versus this innate ability to just do magic. And of course, we don't see you know like Michael's whole life or Howell's whole life, so we don't know that they didn't have some point of that. But Sophie is just to everyone's eyes this old old woman who just can do magic without ever having any training for it. Yeah, and the the funny thing about this, too, is that there's this weird um, mix between the two because Sophie just spontaneously has this magic, mm-hmm. um, but then there are also other, like, hard and fast rules in magic, like the contract that Calcifer has with uh, Howell is very explicitly states, I can't tell you what the contract entails. Right, right. Um, Sophie's spell is double layered. The spell that's put on Sophie is that she can't tell anybody about it right. unless they already know that the spell is on her. So it's you have these random like hard and fast rules and then other stuff where it just like happens. Right. <laughs> um, and it's also implied that Howell initially got his magic by studying it in the real world it says something uh, and i'm forgetting the exact um phrasing but there's something about he was working on a dissertation of magic or the oh, yeah. occult or something yeah because howell is from wales yeah. real life real world wales which is wild <laughs> to me like let's let's talk about that for a second here so um if any of you have seen the movie Howl's Moving Castle, you know about the door where you turn the knob and each different color has a different thing. It still... Takes you to a different location. Yeah, it takes you to a different location. It's similar in the book, except the black... There, There's a blob that's always a black dial, and that always leads to Wales, where Howl's family is, mm-hmm. which is wild. Yeah. Because <laughs> at one point... Um, they actually end up going to Wales. So you get to see the real world through Sophie's eyes. And right. Sophie is so confused. Right. Like It's funny that we have this world where magic totally exists, but then she has to try to figure explain out what a, what a TV game. is yeah. and video games are. <laughs> 
And, uh, like, there's this one line where Howell, like, rips the cords of the uh, video game, like, out of the TV. Yeah. And his nephew is just like, you killed me, or whatever. Right. And Sophie's like, what? You killed your nephew? And she's, like, having this internal panic moment. Right. <laughs> so it's like, they can do these wild things. Like, they have seven league boots where they can literally, with one step, go seven leagues. Mm-hmm. And yet they can't comprehend of what a TV is. Right. Um... Also, as a side note, I really like the initial setup where it talks about uh, seven league boots and then the oldest of three, because when it comes to, like, fantasy and um, fairy tales and folklore, the numbers seven and three are always really significant, Mm -hmm. at least in Western folklore. I'm not as familiar with Eastern folklore to be able to um, speak to that much, but in Western folklore, there's a lot of significance tied to the numbers of three and seven. So I like that, like, right out of the gates, it's just like, oh, seven league boots and the eldest of three. So mm-hmm. you're getting that feeling of, like, oh, we're getting into some folklore-level magic. Yeah, absolutely. So moving on a little bit to talk more about the characters themselves, um, one of my favorite things about our two sort of main characters, Sophie and Howell, is that neither of them are your traditional, like, hero and mm-hmm. heroine. Um, and they... Um, spoiler alert they end up falling in love mm-hmm. um and in so like a really weird in like a really way. weird way <laughs> yeah um but uh what's interesting to me is that neither of them are traditionally what you would see as like these two lovers in this book that you know blah 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 this journey of whatever um howell is so dramatic and any oh of you gosh. who have read the book or have seen the movie will know that he is so dramatic one of my favorite quotes i actually did write this one down was him saying i'm going to my room now where i may die <laughs> and he just like flounces off up the stairs to go sob in his room and like that is such a turn on the traditionally like big masculine man and but never do we have anything of howell being anything less than this mysterious man who women fall in love with constantly and and what's really funny too is that like there is that thing of women falling in love with him constantly, but he's not the part of the traditionally um, like easy to fall in love with yes. character. He's so vain. Yeah. Like he gets um, obviously they played it way up in the movie, but in the book, um, Sophie messes with his hair potions, which is basically like his hair dye. Yeah. And it's like one shade off from his regular hair color and he like throws it. Yeah, he just throws an absolute temper tantrum. And which has magical consequences. Which has <laughs> magical consequences. But he's just like absolutely like, what have you done to me? I'm ruined. I'll not be able to see my not girlfriend for the next however long. And he's right. just like losing his freaking mind and it's hilarious. But then you're just like, this guy is an all-powerful wizard. Right. This is, And so, right. what's really funny, too, is Sophie's side of it. Um, because her internal monologue, she is just like, oh, yeah, I have two younger sisters. I totally know how to deal with tantrums. I don't think it's appropriate to spank a wizard, though. <laughs> like. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, and speaking of Sophia, she's not a traditional, like, what you would think of for a main character. Mm. Or a main love interest for a magical wizard howl. She's this... Well, first of all, she seems to be an old, old woman. Yeah, um, she would be basically in like her 70s or 80s. Yeah, something like that. So visually, she's the, at least. So she's this old woman. And at the end, again, spoiler alert, she the, the spell breaks and, you know, life goes on. Um, and she's back to her normal-aged-looking self. Um, but she's also, I mean, the book starts out 
it's horrible to be the oldest of three. And she goes on to talk about, as we said before, how she's not meant for anything. And that is not what I would normally picture as like, quote unquote, the chosen one for who this book is going to be about to be this main character that we're following. And I think that that's kind of almost one of the like morals we see in this book is the freedom of choice that throughout the book, Sophie eventually learns that like, she actually does have control of her own destiny. She does get to make her own choices. She is not resigned to be this seamstress, this hat maker. Um, she's not destined to be just the oldest of three. She she can have her own story and her own destiny, which I think is really cool. Mm-hmm. And they even kind of address that a little bit early on with her sisters who switch places. They're yes. like, de- one is supposed to be destined to like marry rich and mm-hmm. go off and the other one's destined to be like this... A witch, a ironically witch. enough. I, yeah, a witch, <laughs> ironically enough. Um, and the one who's destined to get married and whatever is just like, well, this sucks. I don't want to get married. I, I want to be a witch. Yeah, and the other one's just like, I want to get married and have 10 children. Right. And I'm not exaggerating. She literally says in the book, she's like, I want to get married and have 10 children. And Sophie's like, um... Okay. <laughs> yeah, so they end up switching places, and, and I, I think you're right. That is kind of one of the first signs that we see of, like, you get to choose your own destiny. You mm-hmm. get to decide for yourself what you want to do, which I think, since this is a young reader children's book, I think it's such a great message to have, too, you know? That, yeah. like, all of our characters are are choosing their own path. Yeah. It is a little bit weird, though, because um, with Sophie, you also see her in a very human light, which isn't normal for a lot of... Um, fairy tale fiction stories with like a moral. Yeah. Normally, you have a character who is like always good and upstanding, or you have a character who like goes through this dramatic journey. And Sophie's very human in that she is kind of a crotchety old lady. Like, from the moment she becomes an old lady, she's like, wow, I don't really care as much as I did when I was, you know, what, 18 or something? I think she was in her, tw- yeah, yeah, early like 20s, 18, 20, something, something like, that. like that at the beginning of the book. Um, so she's like, wow, I really don't care as much about, uh, what people think of me, so I can just be a crotchety old lady if I want to. (laughs) And, like, physically fights a demon, who she didn't know was a demon at the time, but, like, physically pushes a demon out of her house because she's ticked, and, like, just constantly is like, I'm mad. Yes. (laughs) And, And goes through the waves of, like, feeling bad for people, and then feeling guilty if she bites their head off, which is... Not the normal, like, wave of emotions that mm-hmm. you see. Yeah, a um, lot of times in, like, fantasy, you see your main character as the infallible hero. And that's not something we, we have with Sophie or with Howell or really any of our characters. I mm-hmm. think I think Diane Wynne-Jones does a really good job of creating real, human, relatable characters. That was actually one of the next things I was going to bring up. So this is a really good transition. Um, I think that Diana Wynne-Jones does a really good job of creating human characters that feel extremely realistic like these these characters feel like people you could know in real life that you could talk to even weirdly calcifer the fire demon you know i like i was like oh i have friends that are like grumpy like this i love that so much you know um and i think yeah one of my favorite i was just gonna jump in like one of my favorite things is when um sophie like is ticked off and she's yelling at michael and she's just like, why are you like this? Calcifer at least has the excuse of being evil. He's a demon. And Calcifer's just like, I don't think I'm evil. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, you evil. are. You're a bad person. <laughs> I don't think Calcifer's a bad person. <laughs> what? what? <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> Point being, I think that having uh, relatable and very human feeling characters is important across all literature. But I think especially in children's literature, 
Um, and reading it as an adult and still feeling in that way is one of the things that I'm most impressed by in this book is that like, while yes, I did recognize this was a children's book or, or at least a book predominantly geared towards children, I still read it and enjoyed it and connected with those characters mm-hmm. a lot, um, which was really cool. Yeah, and one of the things that like I really love about this story that you do sometimes find lacking in children's uh, literature and something that we talked about on our previous episode um, was the fact that this story, while there are definitely plot elements to it, is actually primarily character driven mm-hmm. um, in that a lot of what Howell does is predominantly uh, forced by his flights of fancy, mm-hmm. his, oh, now I'm in love with this woman and blah, blah, blah. And then you find out that the woman that he's primarily pursuing through part of the book um, not primarily pursuing, but pursuing through one part of the book ends up being um, the demon for the Witch of the Waste in disguise. Um, and so it, he just was so blinded by his own... Oh, I have to be beautiful yeah. for this woman. Yeah, it's just like, oh, this woman's so pretty. <laughs> um, and then Sophie ends up doing a lot of what she does because, oh, she feels like she has to because she's the third child or she's so... Um, pushed by her irritation or by her being fed up by her own curse. She also does a lot of things because she's like, this is what old women do. Like, she is fully resigned to this curse that she's under. Even though she, multiple times throughout the book, does attempt to, like, get information on how to break it, etc., etc., Um, but you also see so many instances of her being like, well, this is what old women do, so this is what I'm doing. Yeah, and so the story is really moved along by each character acting based on how they believe they should be acting, not necessarily because there are, I mean, there are plot elements in it. Obviously they're trying to like break this curse. There are actually, now that I think about it, there are multiple curses trying to be broken in this book. True. Um, so like part of it is the fact that they're trying to break these curses. Those are definitely plot points. Um, but then you find out that the curses are only in place because of the witch of the waste being a petty pain in the butt. (laughs) Yep, yep, yep. (laughs) And slightly crazy? Not slightly crazy. Very crazy. (laughs) Um, Okay, so we talked a lot about, like, things we really enjoyed about the book. Was there anything we came across that we kind of weren't such a big fan of? I honestly, and I know that, again, this is a kid's book, so you can kind of get away with some of the stuff, but... I did kind of take a little bit of an issue with how things just sometimes happened yes. with no explanation. <laughs> um, like, I, you and I were talking before, and I was like, I really have an issue with the fact that there's this whole thing about, oh no, the Witch of the Waste, like, that's one of the big opening issues. They're like, oh my gosh, the Witch, Witch of the Waste is back, she's on the prowl. Um, and then they see this castle, and they're like, oh no. And then all of a sudden, it's just like, oh, and then they found out that the castle belonged to Howell. This secretive man this... who never talks to anyone unless you're a woman he's trying to kidnap. Yeah. This... Well, kid, kidnap. Fall in S- love with. Steal the heart of. Right. The, the rumor <laughs> is that he's stealing the heart of and sucking their souls out, which ends up not being true. No. Um, <laughs> I mean, the stealing the heart thing only in a figurative sense. Right. <laughs> but it... Like, for me, I'm just like, okay, and where did that... How did you know that? Like, right. where did... Obviously, <laughs> you're all scared of both the Witch of the Waste and Howl. Mm-hmm. So why is that... Like, how did you find that out? Right, and we never really um, know. <laughs> and also, just, like, the weird conclusion drawn at the end... I guess for me, too, um, I'm going to back up just a little bit here and say that the end of this book gets really dark really fast. Mm-hmm. Um 
full disclaimer for anybody who hasn't read this and is still listening to this because they don't fear spoilers. Um, Sometimes the, I like to be spoiled. Sometimes that's more that's exciting. Fair. Like, if I'm just like, I don't know if I'm ever going to read this book uh, and this thing. Like, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. I've definitely, like, watched and listened to book reviews about books that I don't ever intend to read, so I don't care if they're spoiled. Sometimes for me, knowing what the end of the book is going to be actually gets me more excited about reading the book. Oh, interesting. <laughs> um, but full disclaimer for the end of this book, um, most of it is just, like, fairy tale, la-di-da, you know, whatever. Some of it gets kind of weird depending on your own ideologies and whatnot. Okay. Um, but right at the end, you find out the Witch of the Waste has not killed, but, like, dismembered two different people to make her perfect human and has been pursuing Howl with the intent of taking his head to put atop of her weird man mannequin. Because he's so beautiful. Because he's so beautiful to make her perfect man who would then take over Angry and she would rule as queen. Yeah. um, Using essentially this meat puppet as her, uh, as the king so that she could still rule as king. Mm -hmm. And, like, that came out of nowhere. There was, like, very little setup for that. Or at least very little setup that I picked up on. Yeah. And if we didn't pick up on it, I mean, imagine a child. (laughs) Yeah. So it's, like, there was very little setup for that specifically. um, But also just very little setup that it was going to get that dark, that fat. Like, you're literally talking, like... In, in a book that is, let me look and see how many pages this book is, uh, a book that is 329 pages, yeah, 329 pages in the paperback copy um, by Fantasy Prince, I believe is the publisher for this. Um, so in a 329-page book, you get maybe four pages of setup to the scene where you find out, and she just drops it in there of just mm-hmm. like, yeah, the these people you've been looking for, I dismembered them to make my perfect man to then rule as king so I can use him as a puppet. And it's like, that, that to me is like a little bit much. I really didn't like that specifically because to me it broke the tone mm. that the book was going for. It is very lighthearted for, I mean, yeah. there, are, there are challenges, there are challenging ideas, but for the most part... Everything is very lighthearted. Yeah, and, like, the tone, especially because we see everything through Sophie's eyes, who's just, like, this grumpy old lady (laughs) who finds out, what, half the way, three-quarters of the way through the book that she can actually work magic, um, is very kind of sarcastic and Mm -hmm. witty, and her relationship with Howell is very, um, like, bickering, like... Yeah, they they just bicker a lot, and so it's funny to watch these two people just kind of like meh, 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 you know, back and forth, and then all of a sudden you have this like actually kind of brutal and gory to for a kids book scene, um, and so that just I guess didn't really sit well with me. That's fair. Um, I mean, I, I, not that I have anything against that in particular. Right. It's not to the point where it's like, I wouldn't recommend your kid reading this, but... But, like, I would definitely be careful of, like, how young. Right. Right. And that's totally fair. Um, kind of going on the same topic of just kind of dropping things and being like, here you go, readers. The book kind of just ends. Yeah. And that's the other part that, like, <laughs> I'm like, I mean, I guess, I guess, but it does. It right. does just kind of, You like, have this, like, huge, like what seems to be the climax of the plot and then the book just ends yeah and i was like oh oh 
okay, and we're done now, and then everything's good. And I was like, but, but, I have so many questions. Well, and the climax actually stretches out kind of long, considering um, Diana Wynn Jones's habit of just dropping things in. So the climax just kind of stretch on, because, like, there's the fight with the witch when she mm-hmm. witch of the waste when you find out what's going on with that there's then um the like solution of the curse that's been going on with howell this whole time then they find out about the demon that's mm-hmm. actually back at howell's home that they have to go fight there's the fighting of the demon and then it's done and then the curses are broken sophie and howell fall in love the end <laughs> yeah it's just like basically all... that fast <laughs> yeah and it, and it does i remember i remember reading this book for the first time and just being like wait hang on <laughs> right and to be fair there are two additional books this is a i guess it's, a it's tri- not it's a it's trilogy because one's but... a preface right or it takes place in a different time well it's more of like three books set in the same world gotcha so in this one um i i for podcast listeners i only read the first one ray read all three right uh i've read the first the two. first two the, gotcha. the third one is on my reading list so i'll be reading the third one fairly soon here gotcha. um but the first one is the story of basically how Sophie and Howell meet, um, break the curses, fall in love. The second one is set in the same world, but basically in a different country um, and follows different characters who then end up way later in the story meeting Sophie a few years after the fact and by extension end up meeting Howell. So it's a different story and it just kind of happenstance lands on top of Sophie and Howell. Um, from what I understand of the third book, and again, I haven't read the third book, but from what I understand of the third book, it's more following another character several more years down the road, um, who then encounters Sophie and Howell via some weird happenstance. Okay. So this is like primarily Sophie, primarily Sophie's story of how she meets Howell, and the other two books are more of like, here are some other characters in this world world that end up- Almost all like- the Narnia books. How yeah. Some of them include the Pevensey. Gosh, Pevensies. it's been a long time. Thank you. Uh, and some of them do not. Um, okay, well, then I take back what I was going to say, which is, I guess technically this is a trilogy, so maybe in the next two books they kind of draw out the story a little more. But uh, that's not the case, so I take back my, well, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's it's more of like books set in the same world, right. but it's not a, a trilogy, so yeah. to speak. Yeah, so it really doesn't, it doesn't complete the storyline at all as far as this book. Like, they're all standalone novels. Okay. So one of the things that I do kind of want to touch on, because we have been talking about the fact that this is a book for younger readers, um, and yet I did say that's 329 pages long, which is not a normal thing to find in a young reader's book. Um, But one of the things that... I do kind of want to talk about is the language that's used in the book that kind of makes it something that would be for a younger reader. Um, a lot of the descriptors in the book don't use a lot of big words. So multi-syllable. Speak. Yeah, not, yeah. Not a lot of multi-syllable, um, not a lot of real heavy nuances in the book. Yeah. Everything's are, pretty straightforward. Yeah. Things are pretty straightforward. Um, and, when things are described, um, Sophie is described whenever she feels guilty. It's not like, oh, she cowers in guilt. It's 
Sophie felt pretty guilty about that. Like, right. it just kind of, there you go. Which in a novel written, geared more towards adults, would almost be kind of a knockoff points for me of like, you're just telling me, you're not showing me. But in a children's book, it's actually almost refreshing to be like, oh yeah, I'm, I am exactly in the character's head. Mm-hmm. And she uses so much colorful descriptive language of the rest of the world that it's it's almost characteristic of Sophie to be very straightforward. So it, it fits in with the writing. I think also the language she uses is very approachable. Like we said, mm-hmm. it's not uh, extremely nuanced. It's not, or, or I guess, it's not overly nuanced. It's not um, larger words that a that a, like a younger kid wouldn't understand necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also not like kidsy you know like it, it's it's not written like a my first reader children's yeah, book which it, again nothing wrong with those yeah. but we wouldn't be reading them and discussing them on this podcast because we're not children <laughs> yeah it doesn't feel overly simplified and it's yes. also not overly nuanced correct yeah um, it's not one of those things where like you read it as a child and you think it's about one thing and then you read it as an adult and you realize it's about a completely different thing instead it's one of those books that like I'd never read this as a child, but I would have and would liked it if I had. Um, but reading it now as an adult, I still really enjoyed it. Yeah, and I didn't read this as a ch- as a child, but I did read it when I was younger. Mm. Um, I think I was 13, 14 when I first I didn't I first even know it was a book until like two months before I read it. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I think I read it when I was like 13 or 14 the first time. And I remember like reading it again um, now at the age of 26, I'm still just like, yep, this is, this is the story I remember. (laughs) I mean, obviously I forgot some of the details, but I mean, like, I'm like, yep, this is what I remember of the book. Mm -hmm. Um, and and one of the things that I do kind of like about that is that while you can kind of read a little more into it as an adult, like obviously the, the relationship with Sophie and her mother is kind of this weird thing that is sort of touched on at is the beginning. Is it her mother or her stepmother? It's her stepmother. Okay. Sorry, I should have... No, that's I, okay. I just all of a sudden was like, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, it's her stepmother. Sorry. Um, where it's this, like, kind of weird relationship with her stepmother that, like, they don't delve into too much. Right. Um, just because it's like, that's not what the story is about. She does have one line where she says it was clear that her mother loved one of the children more and it was the child mm-hmm. that is biologically her child isn't it well two of the children are biologically oh, i thought the first two were from the first marriage it's been a hot minute since we've read yeah. this book kids we're, we're, yeah sorry <laughs> um regardless i know there is a line in there about her loving one of the children the most and that like she wanted this child to be the most successful and it wasn't sophie and sophie knew that and reflected on it, but they don't really go into it much more than that. Because, again, it it fell under that context of Sophie knows she's not meant to be great. Yeah, and and again, there is another part where it's um, one of the children does say is like, I know my mother well enough to know that she's taking advantage of you. Yes. Um, And so there is that, like, that's kind of touched on, but they don't go too in-depth about it because, one, that's not what the story is about. Right. Um, And two... I feel like that's a point in a story that's just very different from the one that's trying to be told here. Um, so, yeah, there are things that, like, you can see it as an adult and be like, ah, yes, I can actually, like, see right. where that comes yeah, from if you wanted to do, adult. if you wanted to do, like, a deep analysis on each of the characters, that would be one very interesting place to start. Yeah, you, you could do it, but, like, it's not, like, every time you read this book, you're going to find something. Right. 
um, you know, new and in-depth and, like, psychological to pick apart. It's just, it's, it kind of is what it is. Yeah. Um, which is something that's very refreshing with children's literature mm-hmm. or with younger readers' literature. There isn't a whole lot to it. It just kind of is what it is. Mm-hmm. And it's good. You know, mm-hmm. like, it is what it is, and it is good at being what it is. Mm-hmm. Do you remember, you said you read it when you were younger, do you remember what you thought about that? We mentioned the darker, how it gets so dark so fast. Do you remember what you thought of that when you read it the first time? So I read the book because I had watched the movie. Right. Um... And I remember, like, in the 10 movie... 10 out of 10 would recommend watching the movie, by the way. If you haven't read the book and you haven't watched the movie, but you don't really want to read the book, go watch the movie. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's a very different beast Correct. from the book. <laughs> um, and I think that's primarily what I was what I was thinking about. Gotcha. Um, when I did read the book, I'm like, wow, this is totally different. I was mostly weirded out by the fact that in the film they chose to use Markle instead of Michael, because I'm like, why would you not just call yeah. him Michael? But... <laughs> Um, that's not what we're here to discuss. Michael's not magical enough. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, and I mean, obviously the movie dealt with some, like, kind of darker things too, but I feel like the movie was way more nuanced than the book, and so it was kind of right. weird for me to, like, read the book and just be like, oh, this is, like, you could, while you can read into some of it, like, you can take this entire book at face value and not lose a single thing from it. Yeah. Um, and... I think, I do remember, like, even then being a little weirded out by just, like, how fast everything ended. Because hmm. I remember being confused by the ending at first. Gotcha. Um, feeling like I must have missed something. Just because it is, like, this long book of all of these different, like, little tidbits of their lives happening. This, like, Sophie discovering her magical abilities. Their random back and forth with um, Howl. And it's just like, there's kind of a lot of buildup. And then yeah. the ending is just, uh, boom, there's the ending. <laughs> um, and so I, I do remember, like, getting through the climax and then the end and feeling like I did miss something. Mm. Um, which I think is why, reading it a second time, I'm just kind of like, I don't know that I like the ending, you know? Yeah, um, yeah I... I kind of had the same feelings then as I do now That's about bad. it. It's still a fun book. I still would like recommend it if somebody yeah. wants uh, like a fun fantasy story. Yeah. Um, just you know, that's that's something to keep in mind about it is that it does the end. And it's I think very for, abrupt. Yeah, the ending is very abrupt, and I think for me, um, an ending can really ruin, make or break a book. I've had too many instances where I've had. Um, a book that I really, really enjoyed through most of the book, and then the ending just absolutely ruined it for me. Yeah. And while the ending doesn't ruin this book for me, um, I feel like I enjoy most of the book more. Mm-hmm. I feel like I could read the entire book up until the end mm-hmm. and still enjoy the book without the ending, mm-hmm. which is kind of a weird thought to have. That's but. fair, though. I get that. So, this is our first book review. Are we going to do ratings? Are we going to rate books on a scale of, like, 1 to 5, 1 to 10? Uh, I mean, I do ratings on my book blog, so I definitely feel like that would be appropriate. Okay, cool. Um, I also do, for those of you who are interested, on my book blog, bookinfested.com, I also do who I would recommend this book to. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's something you want to oh, do yeah, as well, Oh, yeah, absolutely. Gracie. I think we've kind of touched on that kind of yeah. throughout. But, yes, let's do that. So, as we're kind of closing out here, we'll do our, like, last notes. Yeah, so I would definitely give this book 
just because of the ending, I give it like a solid three and a half out of five. Um, and that does not mean that I think it was bad. For me, a three is like, yeah, this was a good book. It's not fantastic. It's not bad. Um, it's something that like I enjoyed and I would definitely read it again. It probably just wouldn't be like the first book that I would go for on my bookshelf. So it's a three, for me, it's a three and a half out of five. Um, I would definitely recommend it to people who like early readers or younger readers books. Um, I don't know how much I would, I personally would recommend it to children just because of how dark mm. the ending is and because, um, just kind of, a a heads up to some people I did mention earlier, you know, depending on your ideologies, they do talk about witchcraft. Obviously they talk about, um, demons and whatnot in here. Mm -hmm. It's definitely in the fantasy sense. It's not very much in the like religious sense. Um, but that is something to keep in mind because I do know that some people do find that, you know, kind of touchy. So, mm -hmm. um, if you're a parent, maybe thinking if this would be something good for your kid, you can go ahead and read it first. See if that's something that's fair. Absolutely. Um, so that is something to consider, but I, I would definitely recommend it to people who like young readers literature. Definitely recommend it to people who like kind of that witty fantasy mm. um, and that like magical realism feel because it's not it is full blown fantasy but it doesn't feel like full blown fantasy it feels more like folk tales um, so yeah if you like folk tales if you like fantasy if you like young reader um, definitely would recommend it yeah, my rating is actually pretty similar I was going to say like a 3.5 3.75 out of 5 <clears throat> Just because, again, there were, you know, it was a very good book, very well written, but that ending and kind of that, like, way things are just dropped in without any explanation um, just kind of knocks off a couple points for me. Um, I would recommend it, <clears throat> again, like you said, to people who are interested in children's literature, to people who like those folk tales. But also I think this would be one of, a, a book that would be really good if you are a parent and you read books to your children. Mm. Because, again... It is pretty lengthy for a children's book. So depending, obviously, all kids are different, different readers, different types of um, kids are going to read different ways. But if you are a family who reads to your children, not only are you, you know, in control of the narrative. So if you know your kids are going to be affected by it getting dark so quick, you can kind of just read the parts you want to read and still make sure that you're getting that story, which um, I think would be good. Um yeah, and also just because it is, it is quite a long book for a children's book, so some kids may find that a bit, a bit overwhelming. Mm -hmm. But yeah. All right, so that wraps up this episode. Our very first book review. Yeah. <laughs> um, so if you want to find Gracie's poetry, she is a published poet. Yes. Um, you can find her by googling Gracie Bowes. Yes. That is a couple different literary magazines, a couple different poems out there. And you can find Ray by going to bookinfested.com. That's where her book blog is. Or you can follow both of us here on Spotify at Choice Words or on Facebook at Choice Words Podcast or on Twitter at Choice Words underscore pod. Thanks, and we'll talk to you next time. Yeah, have a good one. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. As a quick disclaimer, despite what we may lead you to believe, this podcast is in fact run by a couple of humans. And the great thing about that is that we're a lot like everybody else. And like everyone else, we are capable of making mistakes. In last week's episode, at the end of the show, Ray made one of those mistakes when she said Catcher in the Rye was by S.D. Salinger, when it is in fact by J.D. Salinger. To be fair to Ray, this isn't the first time she's ruined an author's name. <laughs> 
If you want to check out Catcher in the Rye by J.D. Salinger, or if you want to get a copy of Howl's Moving Castle by Diana Wynne-Jones, we highly recommend checking out your local library. Or if you're in the downtown St. Paul area, we recommend checking out Subtext, a bookstore. If you would like to follow us on social media, you can check us out on Facebook at Choice Words Podcast or on Twitter and Instagram at Choice Words underscore pod. We're new to Instagram, so please go give us a follow. We'd love to see you out there. Thank you again for listening. We look forward to talking to you soon.